Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My, our guest, it's not my guest, it's our guest because this is a team effort. This podcast is my friend Christy Davis from Gilbert, Arizona. Welcome to the podcast, Christy. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And Christy's a name you can spell a few different ways. So share with our listeners how to spell Christy so they can kind of visualize that as they're hearing your voice. Yeah, it's C-H-R-I-S-T-I. All right. And Davis? I don't, I, it's one of the lesser used spellings, I think. Well, there you go. And Davis is spelled Davis. I've never spelled, seen that spelled anyway, but yep. Davis. Uh, this is um, somebody I've really been looking forward to have her on the podcast. She is the author of a new book. Um, the Power of Faithful Mother, Parenting in the Latter Days with a Faith-Filled Mindset. We'll link to that in the show notes. This book is out in July of 2023, so it's out. It's um, out. It's on Amazon. And we will link to that in the show notes. And um, you'll I won't read the bio of the book. I'll let you talk about the book. And if you want to read the bio, um, you're also a host of a podcast. I've been on your podcast. It's Liking the people you've loved. You've done over 130 episodes. We'll link to that in the show notes. You're a certified Great. life coach. Um, and you have seven kids, ages 26 to 11, a few grandkids. So mm-hmm. you're in the middle of parenting all different ages. Lots of different things going on in our house. And so um, listeners, I just think this will be helpful for men and women. One of the questions Christy's going to get to at some point in the podcast through her life coaching and just her personal ministry is what she would say to LDS moms that have adult children or late teenage children that no longer participate in the church. And that's something she's going to address. And I recognize that that's the reality of of some families and the pain that that creates in our hearts, wondering what that means for us as a parent and what we could have done better perhaps, and what it means for eternal family. And How do we find peace as we honor the agency of our children and sometimes the pain of those choices in our lives? So I believe if that's the road you're walking and you want to help somebody walk that road, Christy will share some insights into that space. Is that okay for an introduction or is there anything you want to frame? Perfect. Is there anything you want to frame up before we kind of dive in? So our listeners just kind of get the big picture before we dive in. No, I, I think that's perfect. That okay. is actually exactly the question I was trying to address as I wrote the book. Oh. Because it's what kind of I've been through in my own journey and what I coach a lot in my practice. And so yeah, I saw a real need for some guidance and some hope and some empowerment in that area. So yeah, I will for sure talk about that. Good. Well, it's all yours, Christy. Okay. Well, first, I just have to say what an honor it is to be here because I feel like my heart has expanded so much as I've listened to so many beautiful people share their stories here. And I love that this is just such a loving, open place to share stories and experiences. Um, kind of a theme that I hear over and over again, and a theme that I've found in my own life is that life is kind of messy messier than we expected. I, uh, I think growing up, I had a view of the world that was a little bit more black and white. You know, I thought that there was good and bad. And I thought there were choices that were right and some that were wrong. And I had this idea that if you just like follow the right set of rules, you know, or you kept the commandments that things would turn out okay. Things would be fairly simple. And, you know, looking back on that, I realized that that was a little bit naive. 
But really, that is kind of how I saw the world in a, a simplistic way. Um, what I've learned, of course, is that life is rarely simple and it's almost never black and white. Um, but I've come to actually really appreciate that. Thank goodness that life is not black and white. It's actually full of color and variety and unexpected twists and turns. That can actually be a great thing. It doesn't have to be scary. But in order to embrace that way of experiencing life, I've really had to open my heart and I've had to learn to trust in God in a whole new way. It's one thing to trust him that things will go exactly like I planned. But when I realize that things don't go how I hoped or planned, then it really invites me into a different kind of trusting relationship with God. So um, I have come here to talk about my book a little bit. But first, because this is a platform for sharing stories, I just want to share a little piece of my own personal story. And then I want to talk about some of the things I've learned from my experience and how they apply to, hopefully, to some of your listeners. Um, I would like to upfront say that I have permission from everyone who's involved in this story to share it publicly. So, um, so the beginning, I guess I'd say my husband and I were both born and raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We both lived very traditionally LDS lives. We both served missions. We were married in the temple. We graduated from BYU. We started having babies. We had lots of babies. And we basically built our entire lives around our membership in the church. We served in our callings. We went to the temple regularly. You know, all the things, all the things that we think we're supposed to do. And this is how we lived our life for many years. Um, and then about 15 years and six kids into our marriage, I came home from church one day and my husband had stayed home. I think one of the kids was sick. He had stayed home with a sick kid. So I walked through the door after church. And first thing he says is, hey, I have something I need to tell you. Um, I have already texted the bishop to let him know this, um, but I have quit my calling. He was in the young men's presidency at the time. Wow. And he said, I just, you need to know that I quit my calling and I actually don't believe in the church anymore. And I just can't, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I'm tired of all the pressure. Basically, he was just telling me, hey, just so you know, I'm out. Wow. And as you can imagine, that came as a huge blow to me. I, I can actually feel the feelings again right now when I'm telling the story. I felt physically weak and shaky. I felt like the floor had completely dropped out from under me. I mean, that our membership in the church, that was our foundation. And all of a sudden that was gone. And I was completely disoriented, um, caught completely off guard. I mean, looking back now, after the fact, I can definitely see some signs that there were things building up for him. Uh, but I think I was just too busy living the life to really realize the depth of what was going on for him at the time. So this, this announcement that he was out totally rocked my world. I was worried that he was going to maybe leave me and the kids because I knew we were a lot of pressure. And he was, he always assured me that he loved me and he was committed to the marriage. So it's not like that was coming from him, but I just didn't feel like I knew what I could trust anymore because if that could change for him, maybe his feelings for me could change. I mean, who knows what could drop out from under me, you know, since this part had. So over the next few months, I really watched him read his scriptures and pray and really try to feel something. 
he did not want to change his way of life. Like he was aware that we had created a whole life around this and he really wanted to believe it was true. He wanted to have a testimony. Um, But after a while, so like he kept trying to pray and read his scriptures and he just wasn't getting any sort of answers. In the meantime, on the other side of the bed, I'm praying my guts (laughs) out like, Heavenly Father, look, he's making an effort. Please, please give him an answer that he will recognize. Um, And after... I don't remember how long, but quite a while of that, he finally told me, you know, I, I think I have my answer. I feel nothing. And I think that's my answer. So from there, his testimony pretty much completely unraveled. He always believed that there was some sort of higher power, but he really wasn't sure who that was. Um, he thought the idea of a savior didn't make a whole lot of sense logically. So didn't really have a testimony of Christ. He actually spent some time researching all kinds of other religions. And I think he was a little surprised that he found a lot of things that he loved in other religions, especially Buddhism kind of caught his attention. He found beautiful truth in lots of places. And uh, that just kind of confirmed to him that he was doing the right thing by leaving the church. And so there was a lot for us to navigate, obviously, during this time, because I was still all in. I still wanted our kids raised in the church. We had, you know, lots of things to, to navigate. But usually during this time, he would come to sacrament meeting a lot of the time to help me with the kids. Um, and then he would drop everybody off at primary and he would go do something else. And then he'd come back and pick us all up. Um, he always joined us for family prayer. He just didn't want to be the one to say it. He would join us for family home evening. But when his it was his turn to teach the lesson, he would teach like something about plumbing or how to apply for college or, you know, something like that, something that was good and useful, but never spiritual. Um, so this was something I was so grateful for. Like he didn't have to do that. And I was really grateful for the effort that he made to still participate in the things that he knew were important to me. In fact, he told me at one point, he said, I'm, I'm really sorry that I can't keep all the promises I made to you when we got married, but I will keep the ones that I can. And so this was his way of compromising. We were both having to compromise and this was his effort at compromising. And I appreciated it so much. Um, So I'm going to try and keep this short, but this went on for several years. During that time, we decided and we committed to each other that we were going to stay close. We were going to stay best friends because when we all of a sudden had something this big that wasn't in common we had to learn new ways of relating to each other. We had to really spend extra time together. We went on so many dates and spent so much time trying to stay connected. We really clung to each other. And both of us realized and recognized that the other person was going through something really hard. And so we did our best to listen and be supportive of the other person's experience. And so it worked out. We were able to stay really close. Um, And something I learned as I watched his as I watched him move through these phases, I came to realize that Jeff had learned the gospel very differently than I had, which I find so fascinating because even though we were raised very similarly, he had a very different experience with the gospel than I did. And partially because of some experiences he had young in his childhood, he grew up internalizing the gospel of guilt. So When he went to church his whole life, all he heard was the message that he was not good enough. 
And he had spent his whole life trying to be good enough, trying to prove himself, trying to earn his worth. And he just still felt like he could never measure up. And so he did that for so many years. And eventually he was just exhausted and beaten down and he couldn't take the pressure anymore. And that was just really eye-opening to me because somehow, for whatever reason, I had internalized a completely different gospel. The message that I heard was, hey, great news. All you have to do is try. Like, that's it. You don't ever have to prove anything because God already loves you. You'll never be good enough by yourself, but that's okay. That's not even the goal. That's exactly why we have Jesus. He will make up for everything you can't do. So all you have to do is stay close to the Lord, keep trying, and he's going to help you. So it's just fascinating to me, the difference in the way that we learned the gospel. And when I figured out how he was seeing the gospel, I was like, well, of course, of course you're exhausted and burnt out. Of course you don't want to keep going to church. Like, I don't, I don't blame you at all for that. So this whole thing went on for about six years. And during that time, I would check in with him every so often just to see, you know, how are things going spiritually, anything changing? And his answer was usually something like, no, sorry, nothing has really changed. Um, I had gotten to the point though, where I could honestly say to him, um, you do whatever you need to do to be happy. If you can't find peace or happiness in the church, I don't blame you for stepping away. I still see your goodness and I am still 100% committed to the marriage, no matter what your faith looks like. And like saying that, it sounds really overly simplified because it took me years, months and years to get to that point where I could say that and feel peaceful about it. But like when, when it first happened, my first reaction was to think of him kind of like a wayward teenage son, you know, that I needed to like get him back on track. And that did not make for a great marriage. Like trying to view your husband like a, like a troubled teenager, that was not a great recipe for a healthy marriage. So I recognized that that was completely on me. And I was the only one who could do the work to change that. And so I did. I worked really hard and I got to the point where I could say, you do whatever you need to do. I see your goodness and we will be just fine. And there was so much relief in him when, when I could say that, because I think he thought that if, if he wasn't going to be who I thought he was when we got married, that I would be out. And so the relief that came over him when he saw that I could love him unconditionally, I think that really started in a way, his healing of his relationship with heavenly father. Um, so yeah, long story short, with some work, we did get to that point and our marriage actually became stronger than it had ever been. Now, this is where I sort of hesitate um, to share what feels like the resolution of my story because I know it's not going to be like this for everyone. But this is what happened for us. So I'm going to share how our story sort of ends or evolves. Um, one year for Mother's Day, Jeff's mom had asked each of her kids to choose one Christ-like attribute and work on it all month. Then as her Mother's Day gift, she wanted a report about how it went for everybody. Well, he loves his mom. So of course he was going to do what she asked for Mother's Day. He didn't really so much believe in Jesus at this point, but um, 
he could choose, he chose service because even though he didn't necessarily believe in Christ-like attributes, he did believe in being a good person and helping other people. So he decided to focus on serving others all month. And he went all in because this is one of his personality traits. When he is all in on something, he is all in and he's very focused. So he, as he did that, he really dove into serving people just with all his heart. And as he did that, I could watch his countenance changing like right before my eyes over this, the course of this month. And I'm pretty sure I saw it happening, the changes happening before he did, but the spirit was coming back into his life and like his eyes were lighting up again and his heart was softening. I could see it toward the end of the month. He came to me with like eyes full of tears and he said, it's, it's back. My testimony is back. All those, all those feelings that I haven't felt in years. I can feel them again. And it was, of course, like such an answer to prayer, such it felt like such a huge miracle to me. And it was such a blessing. It's one that I had prayed for for years. But looking back, I don't think, I don't think he would have been ready for it before that time. You know, like part of me was like, okay, Heavenly Father, why couldn't we have done this six years ago and saved us so much pain? It's because he wasn't ready for it before that. He had so many things that he needed to figure out about himself without the confusion of the guilt and the pressure that he associated with church. He really needed to step away enough to realize that he actually was free to choose how to live his life and that God was going to love him either way. And his family was going to love him either way. He really could have a great life either way. So looking back, I'm so grateful that Heavenly Father didn't answer my prayer any sooner. I'm glad he didn't just like send an angel or pour out some undeniable spiritual experience earlier because it actually would have been detrimental to Jeff's progress. That was not what he needed. He needed the space to figure that out himself. So, okay, that's my, that's my sort of background story. Wow. Now, I, any, any thoughts or comments there? This is a good pausing spot. Well, it's a, it's a really unique story. Um, these are the things I wrote down, listeners. Um, Jeff grew up in the gospel of guilt. You grew up mm-hmm. in the gospel of all you have to do is try. And that's a good insight. I love, um, this is a beautiful love story. Um, and it was a beautiful love story even before Jeff came back. Um, totally. And you're pretty clear to communicate that. I love the transparency of these conversations and sort of rebuilding your marriage based on things that you had common goals, common, um, pl- and you just rebuilt, you reconstructed your marriage intentionally. Both of you care deeply about each other in your marriage. And I think that's really good because I love that you're aware you know, this is a blow, but what, what's next? And do I trust this person that we went to the temple with and now he feels this? What's next? I think he did a good job. I love what Jeff communicated to you. Um, sorry, I can't keep all the promises I made, but I can keep these. And I'm assuming that some of the temple promises, you know, to always believe and go to the temple together. And <clears throat> right. But I think that's a great framework in a mixed faith marriages, like some of those promises are belief promises, like a promise to believe this way, we're going to believe this way. And some of them are behavior promises, like 
I promise to always be true to you and um, keep our marriage vows to be committed to you. And, and so some of those are behavior and some of our belief listeners. And I think sometimes the belief things kind of come and go like it did for Jeff, but the behavior things I think are more in our control. And so communicating that, you know, I'm committed to you and I love you and you're the only one. And I think that may listeners and you're the life coach. I'm just the podcast. So <laughs> may take the fear out of somebody in a mixed faith marriage, wondering what else is happening. If you communicate what you can do and what you will do, even if your belief has changed and that, is often very helpful going forward. So this is a beautiful love story of just reconstructing. Um, I love what I call non-agenda love. As you came to the point where you just left, you love Jeff because he deserves to be loved, not because your love was going to bring him back to the church. That's the way I yeah. interpreted this phase. Absolutely, and, yeah. And 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 sort of now understand that he had to go through this. This is part of his journey of moving from the gospel of guilt, so to speak, mm -hmm. and and being able then to come back to the church, probably on his terms where he fully owns it. Um, in a way, perhaps, at least in his case, he was never able to do that. I'm speaking for Jeff, but... Um, yeah, something so, he told me somewhere along the line is he said, I feel like I got so swept up in like just doing everything yeah. that was expected. I almost don't feel like I chose it. It's like, I know technically I chose it, but I don't feel like I chose it. And so stepping away gave him the opportunity to actually choose it for the first time. Well said. And for some, that's part of their journey. And so, Jeff, if you're listening, great job. And this is a beautiful <laughs> chapter of your marriage that is unexpected, I'm sure, when you first got married. And, um, and unwelcome for a while. <laughs> and unwelcome. <laughs> so um, keep sharing. Yeah, okay. So that's kind of my background. That's how I really... I think that's where I started changing from simplistic black and white thinking to realizing that there's so much more to this mortal life experience than just jumping through hoops and checking boxes. Um, so I want to learn, share a couple of things that I learned from that experience that have since been super valuable to me personally in my own family and with my kids and things that I hope will be really helpful for your listeners. Cause I know some are in similar situations. Um, I'm just going to, just for fun, I'm going to give you like a high level overview of some of the things that we have dealt with in our family, with my children as they became teenagers and young adults. And again, they've all given permission to share, but just kind of a generalized overview. We've had some habitual and some unwanted pornography use. Mm -hmm. We've had some substance abuse issues, not horrific ones, but some issues. We've had choosing not to participate in the church anymore, stepping away from the church. We've had mental health challenges. We have some major depressive disorder and some bipolar disorder. We have had ADHD and subsequent dropping out of high school. Wow. Um, we've had a return missionary unmarried daughter that got pregnant and then the dad wanted nothing to do with them. Two of our children have lost their best friends in tragic accidents. Oh my gosh. And those two were completely unrelated, but really close together. So we haven't had all the hard things to deal with, but we have had wow. our fair share of hard. And if I had been stuck in my mentality, my black and white thinking, and my belief that if we just keep the commandments, everything will turn out fine, like I think I would have lost my mind through that. I would have 
something would have snapped in me. I would have been miserable and thought that my life had gone all wrong. Um, because that is really not how I have envisioned it, had envisioned it up to that point. But if you were to ask me right now, and people ask me this all the time, like, so what, what do you think about your life after they hear all these hard things? I'm like, my life is amazing. My kids are amazing. And everyone is right on track. I'm not wow. worried about them at all. Like everybody is learning the lessons they're supposed to learn. And I think everything is going just fine. So here's wow. how I'm able to do that. You, <laughs> you want to comment or question on that first? Just wow. And thanks for being so honest and vulnerable about you and Jeff and that journey. And now um, an overview of the real specific things that your kids have, are working through and your feelings about we're all on track. Yeah. So that's, we're going to love hearing how you got joyful. there. We're all going to love to learn how you got there. Okay. So here's how I got there. Now, I don't want anyone to freak out or think that I am blasphemous when I say this. So I won't, I'm going to say it and then I want you to hang in there with me and let me explain myself. Okay. I think the straight and narrow way, and I put that in quotes, the straight and narrow way that we talk about all the time, you know, going to church, following all the rules, keeping all the commandments. I don't think that's the only way to grow closer to God. And I don't even think it's the right way for everybody. Okay, now again, hang in there. Let me explain what I mean. Let's think about Adam and Eve, right? The Lord placed them in the garden and he said, here are your instructions. Here's your straight and narrow way. You can partake of every tree in the whole garden except this one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This one is off limits unless you want to die. And he did tell them they were free to choose that if they wanted. But I think we could say he laid out the straight and narrow for them. And his instructions were, do not partake of this tree. If you want to stay on the straight and narrow, don't partake of this tree, right? And yet they came to a point where they realized they were stuck. They couldn't actually progress and become all that they hoped to become and all that God had planned for them to become unless they ate of that fruit. There were things they had to learn and experiences that they had to have that they couldn't possibly learn if they stayed in the garden. So on their straight and narrow path, so to speak, they couldn't actually progress. So we know how it went. They partook of the fruit and it turns out that was actually the best decision ever. Did it make their lives harder? Yep. Did they feel distanced from God for a while? Yes. Did they have some serious consequences to pay and some repenting to do? Yes, to all of that. And it was exactly what they needed to progress. So I 100% believe in the covenant path. And I believe that when we keep God's commandments, we will be blessed. And in some ways, I believe keeping the commandments may make our lives easier. But at least for some people, there comes a point where staying on the straight and narrow path, you, you actually get stuck. And stepping off of that path is what that person needs to do sometimes in order to learn what they need to learn. And we, Jeff is a perfect example. He had been checking boxes and keeping commandments all his life, but he was far away from God. He'd gotten stuck somewhere along that way and he wasn't progressing. When he stepped away from activity in the church, traditional activity in the church, he was finally able to let go of some of that guilt and pressure that he had been carrying around his whole life. 
guilt and commandments had gotten all tangled up in his mind Mm. and in his heart, and he couldn't untangle it until he stepped away. Mm. So he actually had to let things unravel before he was able to see clearly. And it took time, but he figured out his own unhealthy tendencies and his thinking patterns that were actually causing the guilt and pressure. He learned a lot about himself in that time that I don't think he could have ever learned if he didn't have some space from the mainstream straight and narrow. So I know not everybody needs that, but he really did. And so the testimony that he has now actually brings him peace and joy, which is something he was not experiencing before his little detour. Wow. So, and I have since seen the same thing in my kids. Um, Some of the choices they have made are the exact opposite of what they were taught, the exact opposite of the straight and narrow. And they have definitely tasted of some of the forbidden fruits, but in each case, they've learned some really valuable lessons. They're learning things about themselves and really having to figure out their own relationship with God. Have their decisions made things more difficult them for them? Yes, but that's okay. That's actually how they're choosing to learn is learning by their own experience. So does it make sense? Really powerful. Um, And I love the balance you're creating as you've, Love the covenant path, love church teachings, but everybody's the plan of salvation, everybody's path is very personal. Um, it's very thoughtful. So I've got some questions, but do you want me to sure. ask those questions or you want to keep going? Either way, we can do questions now. I'm I'm remembering what you said. I, so now I'm pretty tender hearted for your husband, for both of you. But he's yeah, he's pretty great. After you said that he you know, said, I'm not participating, kept reading his scriptures and praying. What an insight into his heart and what he wanted to figure out a way to do was seem to make this work. And he just wasn't able to make that work. And your vocabulary is really good, Christy, of, <laughs> of tangled up the commandments and guilt were all tangled up and he needed to sort of separate himself for a period of time to untangle that and sort of rebuilt his faith sort of on his terms in a way that worked long-term for him. It's a beautiful love story for you to give him that space um, and intuitively know how to do that. There's not a lot of content or church about how to navigate the road you were walking. When you're there was not, (laughs) except to take his phone away. So he doesn't text anybody else. He's not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm teasing your husband right now, but, um, but the, the idea of the straight and narrow path and how, you know, I, I think we just honor, you know, people's long journeys. One of the questions I have kind of still back to that first segment is because you were in this space and now you're not, what advice would you give for families raising kids in mixed faith marriages? So here you've got your husband that believes one way and you believe one way. You've got a lot of kids and sometimes um, there's tension there. Any advice, if you want to, maybe more than a one minute answer, but or you can keep sharing what you've prepared. Yeah, I can give you I can give you a one minute answer because I actually coach about this quite a bit. Yeah, I would guess clients. you do. Um, so each, like you said, each person's path is totally personal, and we live under this assumption. Well, at least I did that if both parents believe the same way, then the kids will believe the same way. That's not necessarily true at all. 
because we see all kinds of parents who both are very faithful and doing all the things and their kids still have their own journey to take. And so I think as we learn to trust that process, because this, this is the plan. And I'll talk about that more in a minute, but the plan is for each person to choose for themselves. And so if we have one parent who lives one way and another parent who lives another way, that's great. Our children have really great examples to learn from. So where we want to keep our focus is what am I, what am I showing them? If my kids watch the way I live the gospel and watch what the gospel does for my life, what are they seeing? Are they seeing a mom who is terrified of them making mistakes? Is they seeing, are they seeing a mom who is trying to control everybody else around her because she's so afraid that they might not go to church or are they seeing genuine peace and love and joy? So I think that's where we want to focus our efforts. If we're in that situation, like, what am I showing? How am I living the gospel? And can my kids see that it actually brings me joy? That's enough to keep us busy and keep us from freaking out about what might go wrong. Uh, Talk to parents. That was a great answer. Um, (laughs) And if I paraphrase your answer, it's, you know, if the gospel brings me joy, you know, I should show that joy and be at peace in that joy. And obviously it does. For you and me and lots of listeners, but this sort of, if I'm full of fear, that are not that is not the fruit of the gospel. And so I don't want to, even though I'm concerned, if I sort of role model what the gospel does for me, that creates a better feeling for kids that aren't participating. And they, yeah. I think it's easier to come back if people haven't sort of dug their heels in and we haven't made ultimatum comments that... Right, if If we turn it into a power struggle, then it's not even about their testimony anymore. It's about the power struggle with their parents. Yeah, and so you and Jeff, I think, you know, I'm speaking for Jeff again from what you said, but it sounds like you just chose to love him. And it took Mm -hmm. a little bit, and you always loved him, but it took a journey there where you just said, I love you and my love for you is not agenda-based. And I think if, as Jeff's feelings changed, you're the first person he told because he knew that you loved him regardless. Yeah. <laughs> so I think as our kids' feelings change and we they've always felt we love them and not saying things, well, someday you'll come back. And I mean, I, I think it's okay to say that in some ways or I pray that you'll come back. But I think, you know, you can't say these shaming comments that then it makes it really hard for them to ever save face and come back. Right. Yeah, exactly. So keep sharing. So I've, I've heard this, so many people on this podcast in particular, um, people who, because of their sexual identity, you know, pretty specifically, they feel all kinds of tangled up emotions at church. <laughs> and it's really hard for them That's to feel God's love. That's my new favorite word now, tangled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really hard for them to feel God's love in the mainstream of church culture. And it's sad to me that that's the case. But for, for some people, that is the case. And the good news is, and this is, you know, us zooming out and trying to keep a more eternal perspective. The good news is that there are many ways to learn and progress in this life. There are so many ways to to learn faith and trust and to develop a relationship with God. And we are free to each choose our own path. That is actually a really beautiful truth that each person's journey is individual and we are free to choose it. So I touched on this before in answer to your question, but I, I worry that as parents who are trying to teach faith, sometimes we accidentally send the exact opposite of the message we're hoping to send. We say 
that we believe in Jesus Christ and in his plan, but then we are clearly terrified of our kids doing anything that's even slightly out of line, right? We, do we believe in agency or do we not? Do we believe in repentance or do we not? Do we trust the Lord that he can save our souls and save our children's souls no matter how far they've gone astray? Do we believe that or do we not? I actually had a pretty powerful experience one time. I had a teenager, I think he was a senior in high school and he had decided he wasn't going to go to church anymore. So he hadn't been going to church, Um, but his grandpa was speaking. We were visiting his grandparents and his grandpa was speaking in church and he loves his grandpa. So he agreed to go. So we're sitting there, I'm sitting there on the pew, you know, down the row from him, just so happy he's at at church and praying that he's going to have a great experience. And I totally feel the spirit when his grandpa's speaking. So I, you know, kind of glance sideways down the road to see if he's feeling it too. And he's on his phone. (laughs) He's playing a game on his phone. And I was like, oh, how is he ever supposed to feel the spirit if he won't put down his phone? And so my first instinct is to like hiss at him, you know, tell him to put it away and pay attention and feel the dang spirit. And instead, gratefully, I decided to check in with Heavenly Father. I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do in this situation, Heavenly Father? Should I tell him to put away his phone? And I felt very clearly, relax, I've got this. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. And I haven't had that message in every situation. And I know there are a lot of parents who have not gotten that message, but I think it's true for everyone. Like Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ love our children even more than we do. They know their hearts better than we do. They get the big picture way better than we do. And they actually haven't given us the job of saving any of those children. That's not our job. That's Jesus's job. And he's really good at his job. So do we trust him enough to just love them do our very best and then relax and let him handle it. The atonement of Jesus Christ was never intended to be a backup plan like homeowners insurance that we hope we never actually have to use. It is the plan. Learning by our own experience is the plan and doing it all wrong and trying again is the plan and letting our own children mess up and get it all wrong. That's the plan too. So we already talked about this a little bit, but I'm a life coach and I coach LDS parents of teens and young adults who are struggling, or at least the parents are struggling. (laughs) Mostly the parents are struggling with the choices that their kids are making. And life is not going how the parents thought it was supposed to go. So the parents are feeling frustrated and worried. They are afraid for their kids. Sometimes they're afraid maybe they have failed somehow in their job and their relationships with their kids are suffering because of that fear. So one of the main reasons I wrote this book, The Power of a Faithful Mother, is to address that fear and talk about how we can use faith to change things for us in our parenting. I wrote it to encourage those faithful parents, mothers in particular, but you know, for sure all parents who are worried that maybe things are going wrong. The ones who thought, like I did, that maybe if they just had family scriptures and prayers and family home evening, then things would mostly go smooth, smoothly. Well, and then now their kids are old enough to make their own choices and things are not turning out like mom hoped it would. So maybe the parents are feeling discouraged. Maybe they're feeling afraid. Maybe they're feeling powerless. 
either way, I want to offer hope and give faithful parents some things to focus on that really make a difference. I had one friend who read this and say, I felt so empowered. I felt like I had a blueprint of how I could be the kind of mother that my kids needed. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I was hoping for with this book. I have just learned so many things through my own trial and error experiences and through coaching so many moms about what works and what doesn't work to create strong, joyful families and to create homes that feel like sanctuaries from the world. I want mothers to know how important their influence is and I want to help them know where to focus their efforts in order to really maximize that righteous influence. So the book is organized into chapters that each begin with the power of something. Mm. So there's the power of agency, the power of the relationship, the power of joy. Those are just a few of them. And I thought this would be a really great platform to get the word out there about this book, because I know there are so many faithful parents who come here seeking to be the very best parents they can. They want to understand and support their children better. They want to stop being afraid and they don't quite know how. They want to be faithful to what they know and they want to embrace the Lord's plan of agency. They really want their homes to be a safe place and a place of refuge for the people they love. They want to create families that are tightly bound together with love and joy. And so my hope is that this book will help with that. I'm just so moved, Christine. Um, with your word and that you've written Thank a book you. and you have this coaching business and how much needed, how much needed your work is in our community. Um, I've got some more questions for you. Sure. Let's do it. Talk I appreciate to... your helpful thumbs up as I'm going to. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> um, listeners, we will um, put this book in the show notes. I've mentioned it. It's a, it just sounds like a terrific book written from someone who understands coaching as a certified life coach, but also has lived experiences in this space. So this isn't just theoretical. This is um, a mix and also, and also gospel principles that all kind of weave in to bring hope is a word I just love that you talked about. Yeah. Uh, and it is filled with personal stories. That's a good There's thing. There's a lot of things that I think are really relatable. <laughs> Talk to um, parents um, that are, that understand our doctrine and realize these are God's kids first and the plan of salvation gives me hope, but I'm still feeling incredible pain. Um, just the pain of kids' choices being different than what um, we had hoped for. And maybe as part of that pain is looking backward and thinking, because we kind of thought if we did all the right things, we'd have these outcomes. We're, we're thinking of, this is really my fault. And the other people in my ward are not having these experiences and my kids, this is really about failed parenting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the tremendous pain I feel because my children won't have the blessings that I've felt in my life if, unless they return. And I'm just full of pain, even with an understanding of the plan of salvation and our doctrine. Yeah. It's a great question. And I want to, I want to address two separate parts of it. There's a such thing as clean pain. There's a such thing as dirty pain. Wow. So clean pain is the kind of pain that just comes with being human. And even God experiences clean pain. I think of, you know, the Pearl of Great Price when God is talking to um, Enoch and Enoch sees him weeping 
because the pain that he sees going on on earth with his children that he loves, that's good, clean pain. There will be some sadness that comes when our children make painful choices. Um, that doesn't, it's, it's not necessarily even desirable to avoid that because clean pain helps us to become deeper. It helps us to become more compassionate. It helps us to turn to the Lord for comfort. There's a lot of good things that come from experiencing clean pain. The other part you talked about is dirty pain. The part where maybe this is my fault. If only I had done something different. If only my husband was different. If only we had lived in a different scene, whatever it might be that we tell ourselves we've done wrong. There's no point to that. That kind of dirty pain keeps us stuck and just spiraling or spinning around and around because there's no solution to it. We can't go back and change things. Um, so that kind of dirty pain is not helpful. Um, it, it helps me to remember, and this is something I say to my clients all the time, like Heavenly Father knew you. He knew your weaknesses. He knew your husband. He knew the town you were going to live in. He knew all these experiences that your kids were going to have. And he still decided, oh, this is the perfect spot to send this child to learn what they need to learn. So none of our, no matter how many mistakes we may have made as a parent, none of that is a surprise to Heavenly Father. It's not like he's up there thinking, oh, shoot, if only I'd sent this kid to a different parent, we wouldn't be in this mess. Like, that's not, that's not how it works. He foresees all of it and he still decided this was the perfect curriculum for this exact child. And so it requires us to really focus on deepening our own faith. Like, do we trust in Heavenly Father that much? I find that when we start spiraling on the what ifs or, or feeling bad about ourselves, our, it's because our fear has gotten bigger than our faith. And so whenever that happens, what we need to really double down on and focus on is building our own faith. What is it that I need to do to get closer to Heavenly Father so that I can trust him even more than I trust him now? I feel like that's a really useful, like a good use of our energy. No one's ever talked about clean pain versus dirty pain, Christy, <laughs> and all the episodes we've done and all the conversations I've had. That was really helpful. Good. Um, talk about, I've got a question I've written down, then one just came to mind. Talk about parents that church becomes hard because, you know, their kids didn't hit the milestones of mission and temple marriage. And they know that today in church, we're going to hear a return missionary. And that never happened for me. We're going to hear things mm -hmm. that kind of remind us. Um, and there's things we naturally celebrate in. We should talk about at church. And, but for us personally, they're, they remind us of kind of where our family situation is and they can be painful. What would you say to parents walking that road? Yeah. So I have walked that road. Yeah, I have yeah. come home from church in tears many times <laughs> for that exact reason. And in fact, one time I, so that family for me that I compare myself to is my <laughs> next door neighbor. They are fantastic. And they're so far, their kids are all just walking the straight and narrow, just like their parents hoped. And so I really had to deal with this and, and figure this out. One time I asked that mom, what do you do on Sundays when you're, when you have a teenager that won't come to church? Like you just refuses and you can't say anything to get them to come to church. And she, cause I thought, you know, she, apparently she's the expert. I need to learn from her. And she's like, um, I've actually never had that happen. Wow. I don't know what I would do. 
And so for me, that was just a confirmation of what, I mean, Elder Ballard gave a great talk about this where he said, every, every situation is different. Mothers have different strengths and certainly different children. Like, oh yeah, I can't compare. Who knows what would have happened if I had had those children if, or if their children, my children had been in their home. Like there's no way to know any of that. And so it's just a, it's kind of a waste of time, a waste of energy to be looking around us and comparing ourselves. If we stay focused on loving our children and doing the best that we can, it's a better use of our time. Good answer. And it's not always easy to do that, but I love what you shared. Your own, and that you came home from church in tears sometimes. And Oh yeah, for sure. I don't know what we do as leaders. You can't not have a farewell and a homecoming. You can't right. not do these things. There are wonderful um, things that are appropriate and part of our church, but maybe as ministers, as friends, we're just kind of aware of others and how they may be feeling. And we reach yeah. out and we become a safe person. And obviously you're a safe person. I assume if I'm in your ward or in your friend circle and I've got complicated family situations, I'm just going to know like Dr. Christy Davis about the reality of my life. And people come to me all the time <laughs> and open up very freely about the hard things in their family, because I'm pretty open about yeah. the hard things in my family. And I find it so healing for them and for me when we can just be real with each other. Yeah. And that's where I love Dr. Brene Brown. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability and authentic connection. And we're craving that. And sometimes it's hard to get that at church. Um, just with the structure of church. To, yeah. And so some wards do other things like just more activities to create connection, either formally or informally. Talk to parents that are listening that, okay, they're, they've got young kids. <laughs> they got four little kids, 11 and younger, and none of these um, issues are sort of possible yet. Maybe mental health issues are possible, but as mm -hmm. far as the parents know, they're straight and they don't have... Um, they're not working through some of the things that you've talked about with your kids and many Latter-day Saint families. And they, they're kind of like in this space where I still want to do everything I can to have your neighbor's experience. Right. <laughs> um, totally. My hope, I think we should but, all do that. <laughs> um, but I also want to sort of mentally prepare myself or emotionally prepare myself or that my kids may choose differently than I hope to do as they get in their late teens, twenties or thirties. And this is sort of maybe you talking to your younger self, because mm -hmm. that was, I assume, your story at one point. What would you totally what would you say to parents? I don't know what the question is there. Do you you prepare yourself emotionally or just manage your expectations or you don't well, want to dial back teaching the gospel and for sure you don't dial back teaching the gospel. <laughs> and actually, I don't even think you want to think ahead and prepare yourself for the worst case scenario well, so that's much. That's interesting. Because because then you're not really enjoying the greatness of the situation Ooh, you're in right now. What a you know? great answer. I think, I think sometimes we have a tendency to worry so much about things that might happen in the future that it sucks the joy out of the right now. And so I wouldn't necessarily advise that. I think a great place to start is just look around. Everybody has either you know extended family members or people in their ward who are in tough situations with their kids and practice not judging and practice just loving people and seeing the good in all kinds of people. I think that's going to help so much just in case the day ever comes when your child is one of those kids that you saw that you watched in your ward. And if you were super judgmental or critical or worried about them, you thought those parents were doing something wrong. 
it's going to make it really hard when all of a sudden you're in that situation. So I think the best way to prepare for it is just practice right now being open and loving and seeing the good in all people in all situations. That was a home run answer. You took that in a completely different direction than I thought you would. <laughs> oh, was a well, maybe direction. you have some good advice too. So, Well, the your idea right off the bat intuitively was don't worry about that. Enjoy today. What great advice for all of us. Yeah. As we do, I have anxiety about the future and wondering how everything's going to turn out. And But what great advice for your younger self is don't focus on what you control and enjoy these days. These are beautiful days if you have young kids. Yeah, they're busier in a way than adult kids, but they're wonderful days. We look back on our journey with six kids. I also like yeah. your idea of what you can do to be create a feeling of being non-judgmental. And I've sort of talked about this creating a family culture where we're, yeah, we're teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we're also talking kindly about people that are, you know, queer, people that are different races, people that are undocumented, people working through addictions, people that are not active in our church, people that have gone through divorce. And my feeling is that doesn't cause your kids to do any of those things. It just, if that becomes the reality of their life, they in advance know how mom and dad are going to respond. Yeah. If they open up about that challenge in their life and we want our kids to open up to us so we can walk with them and versus, you know, a culture where there's such high expectations in the home. And I don't want to take high expectations off, but I want to bring sort of the reality along with the expectations that I'm a safe person as a parent for you to open up. Yeah. So any thoughts on that? No, I, I think you articulated it beautifully. And I've heard you say this before, but our kids are really gauging how they would be received if they were in that situation, that they they listen to the way we talk about other people and the way we judge other people. So for our kids' sake, yes, absolutely, it's important that we speak kindly of all kinds of people, but also for our own sake. I think the more we speak kindly of others and see the good in others, the more it opens us up to to be prepared for whatever hard things happen in our own lives. Well, there you go again, saying something I didn't think you were going to say. It's really insightful. <laughs> you, you are you have a spiritual gift for unique ways of seeing things that are very helpful. Oh, thank I've you. never thought of that about the importance in our own hearts, um, and how that helps us spiritually and probably with our emotional and men- mental health. Same thing to um, as we create that culture, it creates a culture in ourselves that helps us be better. It helps us open our hearts. And that's ultimately what we need to like to get through all the crazy things that happen in life. We need our hearts to be open and soft. And that's, that's one way we can practice doing that. Keep sharing. We've got more time. If you've got more stuff you'd like to share. <laughs> that's, that's all I've got prepared. I'm happy to answer questions, but. Um, now I'm back on the chair with your son on his phone with during grandpa's oh, yeah. talk and relax. I've got this. Yeah. And I've replayed that in my head 8 million times since then because I think it's always true. Like, why do I think that I need to be so uptight and so on it all? Like, I don't know my son's heart like the Lord does. I don't know when is the right time to step in, but the Lord does. So I just got to learn to trust him. That is our doctrine. These are It is. Why is it so hard to do it? I think of the Ensign article written by a mom who has kids that 
some kids that don't longer participate and he love um he saves we love is what you've talked about and mm-hmm. when we get to that space it's a bit relieving because we're we can focus on the things we can control as parents now if we have a toxic situation go talk to there's a question for you what if you've got a kid that's a t- t- toxic situation where there might be um, a serious drug problem where they're stealing in the home and there's a real negative impact on on other kids. Um, this isn't just a faith journey where there's somebody in a different space faith-wise like your husband, mm-hmm. but there's unity in the family and common ground. But talk about the parents. This is the reality of our life. We've actually got a toxic situation. Mm-hmm. So what is the question? What do we, what like, do you, what's your advice to parents if they've got a kid that's toxic to the rest of the family? So there's obviously a safety issue, right? First priority is we have to keep everybody safe physically. So that's number one intervention. Um, I, I don't love the word toxic. Tell us why. Because <laughs> in my mind, that implies, I think of it like as a, a germ. If, if there's an infectious germ, it can sneak into your body and take over and make you sick without you even knowing or consenting right? That is toxic. But I don't think another person has the power to do that to another person. So I actually think it can, I know it's a hard one, but I actually think it can be a good teaching experience for maybe the younger kids as we walk through how to process this for them. So we use those situations, like we take care of the, the difficult child or the, the, you know, the, urgent situation first. And then I think it's really important that we talk through it with our younger kids and say, Hey, how did you feel when that happened? You know, what do you think we should, I I like to ask my kids, like, what do you think we should do? Why do you think your older sibling might be acting like this? Is there anything we can do as a family to love and support them? And then make sure they know, okay, when he yelled at you, that was not about you right? We know that he's yelling at you because there's something really hard going on for him and he's taking it out on us. This is not about us at all. And so that actually can be a great time for those kids to develop that skill of not taking things on themselves and, and learning to um, be loving and supportive and not internalizing. That's a great answer. I love your point about safety. So there is a boundary there, but your point for about sure. Using, I love you just want to have these conversations with the younger kids that may conclude different things. But if you keep the conversation going and that conversation about why do you think he yelled at you? Yeah. It's not about you. And they may need to hear that. Um, it's such an that, important thing for them to learn. And this may be more about pain in that person's life. And we sometimes hurt the people that are closest to us, including younger siblings. So that was another and, really I, and good I don't segment. mean to imply that we shouldn't step in, you know, of course we want to step in and keep people safe, but there's still going to be an element of teaching because we can't shield them completely from what's going on in the family. And so it's important that we help them process it. So it becomes a teaching experience for them. I think of, um, I'm still on relax. I've got this. That's just a, <laughs> it's a good one. You can use it over and over again. <laughs> um, and I think in a way, I think that's what our heavenly parents would say to us as parents is I didn't expect you to be perfect parents, but I just expect you to do what you can do. And these are my children first and um, eternity's a long time. And, you know, we love and he saves and we just measure our success as parents, not by 
how the neighbor next door is doing or how even our own kids are doing. We just measure, keep our self-worth tied in our relationship with our Heavenly Father and the Savior and and just be at peace. I love that word you've used and have be at peace for the reality of today and enjoy today and have hope for tomorrow. And I think that's um, therapists, life coaches like you and um, prayer and the atonement can help us find that. I think of, you know, go ahead, Christy. Well, I, this is a great place to wrap up. So if you have another question, let's do that first. And then I want to tell you my favorite parenting scripture. Um, Just one comment. So listeners, I'm going to let Christy end the podcast. So I'm just going to mention in the show notes, we're going to put her website and her podcast, I believe will be listed in the website. We're going to list the Amazon book. So look for those. The only last comment I was going to make is just, you know, we talk about Gene Kratz, the Apollo 13 um, guy that's in charge in Houston. And the Apollo 13 looks like it's going sideways and everybody's negative. And he says this famous line, excuse me, this is our, going to be our finest hour. So I think in a way, this story of you and Jeff and your family is not what you thought would be the reality of your life. But I think if God could come talk to you, Christy, this is your finest hour. And the I things you're learning so and the gifts you and the personal growth and your family's growth. And it's messy, like you say, and it's different, but I think it's our finest hour. And I think that's a great way to look at this. So I'm gonna let and imagine, you. Yep. imagine how differently we would feel about our lives if we genuinely believed that. No matter what was going on, especially when things got hard, if we believed 100%, this is going to be the best thing ever. This is going to be my finest hour. Imagine how more, how much more fun life would be, how much more enjoyable. Keep sharing. Well, let your final thought. Yeah. So let me read you my favorite parenting scripture. So Good. this is Doctrine and Covenants section 123, verse 17. And the saints at that time, this was Joseph Smith writing to the saints. And the, the saints at that time had been given a huge and noble task, right? They were to take the news of the gospel to the whole world. Now, given their level of poverty and the ongoing persecution they faced, it was a job that seemed completely overwhelming and probably completely impossible, which sometimes I think is how parenting feels. Right, feels like we've been given this huge assignment that is often overwhelming and maybe even completely impossible to do it how we want to do it. So in that letter that he wrote to them from Liberty Jail, um, he told them that faithful, consistent effort was all that was required. So here's the scripture. He says, therefore, dearly beloved brethren, let us cheerfully do all things that lie within our power. And then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. And so I always like to substitute in there, therefore, dearly beloved parents in Zion, let us cheerfully do all things that lie within our power. And then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. My favorite parenting scripture. Wow. Thank you, Christy Davis, um, for being on the podcast and your work. And it's an honor to have you on the podcast. And I encourage Thank everybody. Thank you for having me read your book, share it with others, check out your podcasts and um, your website. So this is Christy Davis and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.